0: A good Thursday morning to you, Real Talkers. Got a great show in store. Ryan Jesperson here with you. Another edition of Real Talk. Technical producer Samuel G. Brooks behind the controls this morning. A good morning to you, my man. Good morning. I you like that you're, you're you? wearing your uh, your uh, it's uh, you know grizzly bear sure. Your shirt, you're wearing a great tarp, as the boys would say uh, yes. today. I, I
1: told you, the bear shirt, it's always a winner. It's like people People seem to protect, perpetually like yeah, this. People I like it. called it, like because they're blue and gray, people seem to think they're polar bears. Like They're just bears. They're cool. I was I wrestling like
0: with whether or not to call it the, this is like for people listening on the podcast, they're going, guys, come on. But, but we have people that are tuning in on YouTube that are, that are, that are able to see the sense of the style, the flair that you bring to the program every single morning. And I was wondering if we call it like the, the Kodiak shirt or something like that. I follow this Instagram account called Nature is Metal. Do you follow it? No. Tell me about this. Well, uh, the, the first thing you need to do is, is uh, as soon as we're off air today, as soon as we're off live, or as soon as you're off camera immediately subscribe to nature is metal it's one of these accounts that makes you uh yeah here see i'm gonna i'm gonna watch you uh sign up for it right now on your phone and then i'm gonna see your eyes widen as you realize what you've just signed up for it's an instagram account that shows the reality of nature and uh, like it or not nature works a certain way and today just this morning this account is like watching planet
1: Earth. This is fantastic.
0: These yeah, photos are beautiful. It's planet Earth Except for it's all the stuff that as <laughs> as David Attenborough's voice kind of says and you know, I'm not even gonna do my David Attenborough Because it's terrible, but but w- when he's like and we knew what happens next That's when the Instagram account nature is metal says we'll show you what happens next and this morning I was watching a video. There's this injured moose And it's laying on the side of the highway Like probably clipped by a car Clipped by by a truck Not great Not ideal But it's being helped off the road It's being helped off the road And pulled into the ditch Away from the danger of the road The only problem is that the moose I would imagine What is a moose? 1500 pounds? 1800 pounds? Something like that? I mean they're they're massive creatures Yeah The only problem is it's being helped off the highway By a grizzly bear (laughs) The grizzly bear is helping the moose off the highway and we know what happens next. Uh, So if you don't subscribe to nature is metal, there are people that are going to be watching this uh, people that are going to be listening to the podcast and their day is going wonderfully. Everything's great. You know, maybe, maybe they've seen the first butterfly of spring or something and then they'll sign up to nature is metal and they'll just be well impressed, appalled, (laughs) whatever it is, whatever word fits. It'll bring you up to speed on on the reality of nature. I didn't plan on talking about nature as metal out of the gates today, but may, maybe there's some sort of a parallel.
1: How often do we plan what we're going to talk about out of the gates? It's like, really, this is this is riff time. This doesn't have a script. <laughs>
0: it is riff. Believe it or not, everybody, <laughs> we don't spend up all night. Uh, you know, we don't spend all night uh, coming up with, our, with what we're going to riff on out of the gates. We've got a busy show today. We've got a, uh, an exciting day today. As a matter of fact, it's going to be a very busy day today at 1 o'clock Mountain Time, 3 o'clock Eastern today. You'll be able to, by way of our YouTube account, and we hope that you subscribe, Real Talk Ryan Jesperson, uh, by way of our YouTube account today, you'll be able to watch live the University of Alberta Faculty of Graduate Studies, the 3MT competition. This is the three-minute thesis competition. I'm so excited, so proud to be hosting it today today. And, uh, and and we're proud to be carrying it. So they'll have it on their website, uab.ca slash 3MT. Or you can watch it live on our YouTube. And then tomorrow at 9 a.m. Mountain, 11 Eastern, live on our Real Talk Roundtable, we're going to feature the winners. So first place, first runner up and people's choice of the 3MT competition. So we're going to learn what these U of A graduate researchers are working on and whose projects were kind of elevated Above the others based on the three-minute thesis competition, which is super cool It's it's how people are taking high-level research and communicating it to us plebs in three minutes or less I don't think
1: some people um, Appreciate how hard good academic or like scientific communication is actually to do like I know I know a lot of academics that are terrible communicators and I know a lot of communicators that are completely lost in epidemics and seeming those two worlds together is very hard, especially in this compressed three minute
0: timeline. So I'm excited to tune into it. What do you think is more impressive a scientific researcher that is able to take their brilliance and communicate it to everyday folks or an everyday person? that's able to talk their way through so much in a a way or fashion that convinces other people (laughs) that they actually know what they're talking about when in reality they don't? (sighs) What's more impressive to you?
1: Uh, I mean the actual scientist is always more <laughs> impressive to me than the bullshitter uh, if that's where you're going with this This
0: is well. I mean this is the question well, but here's
1: the thing you've just sowed some seeds here And and I say this only as a, as a precaution to the people watching three-minute thesis today It's also April 1st and now Jespo oh, yeah. has just we should put on the table the whole idea of people Giving nonsense as a thesis.
0: Yeah, I kind of that would actually be an amazing (laughs) They're like and now with a late entry to the 3MT contest we have uh, We should you know I've always wrestled with the, the whole April 1st thing because having worked in in news and political commentary and these types of things for quite Some time the idea was that you would never trick your viewers like you would never use a newscast for an April Fool's gag, because it kind of violates a certain trust, right? Then people go all of a sudden. Well, if you're, I mean, if you're clowning around on April Fool's Day, then it sort of it sort of desecrates the news a little bit. But I've also always felt mixed feelings about whether or not you should mention it. You know what I'm saying? Because right now, somebody's. I mean, even the, what we're doing here right now, like, like maybe somebody, you know, their housemate, their roommate, their spouse, their partner, their 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 parent, their child, is. Is working on something and it needs to fly under the radar. Mm, yeah, you know, I and, then, that. and then we're kind of like reminding people that it's. Able- Should we just say this that I, oh. that we're that we're not that we have nothing? <laughs> Jesus, Sam, Sam I, I don't know what you're talking about. Sam, get, we get have going. to take this seriously. Like, oh, okay, fine. see, the people on the podcast won't be able to see this, but Sam has me flipped upside down right now. You have me, you have me turned all the way upside down on the broadcast. Um, but but aside from this tomfoolery. Um, and horseplay Shenanigans if you will uh, so many good words that we don't use enough in the English language uh, we're, we're not gonna like totally get into it as far as although you have this look on your face It's making me the only thing is we're talking about serious business today. So, you know, you can't yeah gotta, You got to get out. You got to pick say, your spots. You got to get you got to get your yayas out. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get your ya-ya's out <laughs> uh, In a few minutes, we're gonna be talking to Brad West Brad will be making his debut on Real Talk. He's the executive director of Glen Gary Childcare. Um, Brad reached out to us yesterday. We've we've had him scheduled here for a while because uh, yesterday, the end of March, March thirty first was the end of the twenty five dollar a day daycare for a lot of families in the province of Alberta and so Brad had reached out and said I think we should talk about this he reaches out yesterday and says I know everything's going haywire right now with the curriculum story he goes so if you need to bump me that's fine I can ac-. we go no way I said not a chance April 1st this is a big day a, big, a day of big significance for parents that have been working for advocating for hoping for affordable child care we're going to talk about that I, I have to say as well Uh, You may have seen my tweet yesterday, but I showed you a a screen capture of my email inbox, just just about 20 minutes worth. And it continued all through the day. Uh, We were averaging an email from a concerned citizen. For the most part, we were CC'd on emails to the government, to the premier, the education minister, to MLAs, to opposition MLAs, opposition critics, opposition leader, Rachel Notley. We were tagged on those messages about the curriculum. And the proposed curriculum changes I'm talking hundreds hundreds I mean you saw yesterday on my tweet It was like it was like 11 19 11 22 and it's just 20 going all day I had to I had to apologize for some of the people that we were working with and coordinating interviews with because I'm going uh, Did you email me? I was ser- you know you use yeah. the toolbar at the top and I was just searching people's names to say, Is there an email in there from somebody? I don't know so we're doing our best to read as many as we can It's unbelievable I mean, don't know
1: what, if we heard from more parents or teachers.
0: That's a great or, or a lot of teachers that are parents. Yeah. Or, you know. Yes.
1: Yeah. But I mean, it's just like I, I remember reading them. It's just like another parent, another parent, another teacher, another teacher, another teacher who is a parent. It's like it is there. There is widespread outrage about this. Yeah.
0: Outrage is is a good word. And so now we sort of go, well, what does this mean? Because the premier yesterday um, spoke to reporters I saw about two minutes of it before I turned it off because it's just it's. I mean, it's an exercise in gaslighting is what it is. You're watching one human attempt to gaslight four and a half million people all at once. You know, Premier Jason Kenney kind of looks into the camera yesterday. And if I can paraphrase, he's like, you know, we've had many glowing reports from from many people about our excellent curriculum review, wide consultation with many different people. Indigenous groups, he says, are endorsing it. Meantime, Audrey Poitras, president of Métis Nation of Alberta, is like, hell no. She's going to be joining us uh, in about an hour and 20 minutes. He's claiming he's got teachers praising it. Um, Not the thousand or so that have emailed us, Premier. Parents love it. Parents are thanking us for keeping our election promise. Like, who does this guy think he's fooling? Nobody is the answer. So we got a ton of your emails. We got, we got this one from Katie, who wrote to her MLA out of Calgary. Richard Gottfried yesterday wrote to the education minister, the premier said, I, I write to you today as a completely flabbergasted parent. Another word that doesn't get used enough of three young boys, all of whom have just begun their formal education. The curriculum draft released this week is a complete and total embarrassment. It is so unabashedly ideologically contrived, completely developmentally inappropriate. You know, this would came to be expected when the curriculum advisory panel was first announced, somehow neglected to include any teachers, women, indigenous Canadians, members of the LGBTQ2S plus community. So while I was prepared for a reflection of the ideology of this government, predominantly white and Christian, what has been released is so much worse than what I could have imagined she goes on i mean katie writes you know a full page here she says we know who suffers the most from this scenario decimating public education exasperates inequality because families of lower socioeconomic status new canadians children with disabilities families who cannot afford to sacrifice careers to stay home Right? They'll bear the brunt of this, she says, but, but they won't experience it alone. All Albertans suffer when public education is chopped up and sold for parts. She says, it's obvious what story you're trying to sell, Premier, and I am here to tell you that we, the people of Alberta, the people you serve, aren't buying it. Katie says, for the first time in my life this year, I have donated to the NDP. And like so many others, I will continue to do so, not because I align with that party's platform, but because they are our best shot of getting rid of you, Premier. The continued mismanagement of Alberta's resources, most important of which our children and the future of this province has me in a near blind rage, writes Katie. Shame on all of you. That's one of the hundreds of emails that we've received in the last 36, 48 hours. We're going to keep I could drop in on my inbox right now. I could just drop in and pick one out and it would probably grab your attention like Katie's email just did and hold it there. Hundreds of them. You sort of feel like the the gig may be up, but yet emboldened, this government pushes on. Do not lay off the gas. Albertans. We're going to get to another email from Brandy here that talks about our segment yesterday uh, with with Children First Canada and children experiencing poverty and the the psychological effects of COVID-19. What an interview it was with Sarah Austin, and we so appreciated her time on that. Brandy wrote in with a comment on that, and I want to get to it as soon as we officially open up the show. Now seems like a good time to do it. I want to remind you that this show each and every day is presented by our title sponsor, the team at Bitcoin Well, crypto may be part of your financial sovereignty plan as a as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, maybe as the director of a, of a company, or, or maybe just as a, as a human being that's curious about what's going on in the world of blockchain and everything else. Maybe your eyes gloss over when people talk about this because you don't understand it and you figure you don't have time to try to figure it out. That's where Bitcoin Well comes in. They can help you plot out a plan. You go, yeah, but I got some tough questions for them. They love that. They want that. You'll find them under the Sponsors tab at RyanJesperson.com.
2: Real Talk starts
3: right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson.
0: Crazy Fast Eddie on the live chat says, you know, while everybody's distracted by the premier gaslighting on curriculum, workers who get hurt through no fault of their own employers don't have to retain their positions or rehire them as of today that's a story that crazy fast eddie's keeping an eye on what about this from jillian who's a teacher a valued member of our audience she says we're about to see what happens when teachers refuse to teach a provincial curriculum she says i don't think that that's ever happened in canada before but i'm sure as heck not teaching white supremacy that from jillian make sure you let us know how you're feeling about this there's a number of ways that you can do it our hashtag real talk rj on twitter we keep an eye on that through the show of course our live chat and then i hope we don't have to tell you by now how you can send us an email talk at ryanjesperson.com. that's our address that's what brandy did yesterday after our show as a matter of fact last night about nine o'clock she emailed the show i love it i love when it's because we know people are listening to the podcast through the day sam into the evening sometimes i think it's that people are sitting on what they've heard And they're thinking about it through the day. And then they go, no, I'm going to reach out. And I think that that's what Brandy did. She says, after your uh, Children First Canada segment, I wanted to share a thought that I had. I think that there's a huge disconnect in this province on the realities of achieving what this group and others are trying to achieve, to accomplish. We always hear that reducing child poverty is our goal. But Brandy says, Nobody seems to talk about the fact that the reason that the child is in poverty is because the child's parent is poor. Having a strong social safety net and supports for families is the way we get kids out of poverty. Programs like the $25 a day daycare, child tax credits, lower school fees, lower busing fees. Yet every time we put something like this in place... There's outrage from Albertans, says Brandy. If we ever want to solve child poverty, we need to stop equating these types of supports as a negative use of our tax dollars. That from Brandy. It's something to really get us thinking, isn't it? And it's a perfect segue into our conversation with Brad West. Brad's worked in early learning. and and child care for more than 35 years in Saskatchewan, Alberta. He's currently the executive director of the Glengarry Child Care Society. Brad, welcome to Real Talk, and thanks for making time for us this morning. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Brad, uh, unfortunately, April 1st is a day that you've had circled, and I know a lot of of parents, and and I'm assuming that parents that you work with, uh, you've had this circled on your calendar for quite some time. absolutely. Uh, so yesterday marks the end of the
4: $25 a day program. So as of today, over 7,500 uh, children, their parents are paying double or more of what they were last month in child care fees.
0: So what does that mean? Like with regards to actually the bottom line, Brad, what are their expenditures going to look like? How much does it differ?
4: Uh, under the twenty-five dollar a day program, they were paying about five fifty a month per space. Now they're paying in excess of a thousand per per child per month.
0: Okay, so for for, for a parent with two kids, uh, their childcare bill just went up by about a thousand bucks. Just went up by a pretty yeah. decent sized mortgage payment every month. Yeah. How many parents yep. of the of the families? I I, I would uh, understand and expect that there will be some privacy issues here and things like that. But but big picture, what can you tell us about the families that you work with and and how directly this will impact them? How many people are affected?
4: Um, I have uh, in our England Glen, at Glengarry, we have 76 children uh, about what's that? about 55, 60 families. And we've had. A number of them that have either had to leave because they can no longer afford child care or the parent, typically the mother, has left her job to stay home with the kids because they cannot afford child care. So they're either leaving. This forced them into making a decision to either leave work or cut back their hours to reduce their child care fees to make it work because they are paying more than a mortgage payment. You're right.
0: How long has this been on your radar and, and how have you been managing this with parents? How have you been communicating? I, w- I would imagine this has been a, a tumultuous time for you and your staff as well.
4: Yeah, we've, we've known about this since uh, the UCP took over and Minister Rebecca Schultz uh, came into power. When she first came into uh, leadership of, of the Children services uh, Children's Services Ministry, she immediately voiced her dislike for the $25 a day program. Um, One of her most outrageous comments was, I have young children, I access licensed childcare, and nobody helps me pay for my fees. That's ludicrous. I don't know how much a minister makes, but I can guarantee you it's more than what the average family makes. She said that to you
0: or she said that on the record? She said that publicly. Oh. Oh. That flew under my radar. Um, that's a heck of a thing to say. How would, how would you characterize your relationship with the minister, the ministry, the government? Is this something that you've been advocating? I mean, this $25 a day, this this sort of pilot. I know that the NDP was considering that That now, I mean, former Premier Rachel Notley has essentially come out and said that, that if the NDP uh, is elected to government again, this is something that they are going to do, that they are going to do. Notley said that a few days ago. What has yep. your advocacy looked like? I should make it clear to our audience because I think it's of interest. I think people like to know you reached out to us. So is this the first bit of your advocacy or have you been pounding the pavement, knocking on doors, writing letters for months now?
4: I have I consistently write uh, emails to them directly to the minister. Um, so I'm guessing I've never actually spoken to her, but I'm guessing I'm probably quite well known to her. Um I don't hold uh, anything back. Uh, I'm very open, very blunt, very honest with her. Um, you are the first piece of the adv- advocacy tour um, about this that I have done. Um, I was re- uh, prevented from speaking openly about the program under the terms of our, our uh, grant agreement with the province. So that ended yesterday. So today, here we go. And there are a number of issues with that I have with the minister that go well beyond the twenty five dollar a day program.
0: Okay, well, I'll leave some time to get to that. But but let's talk about this right now. People are going to you know, people are going to Google, you know, Alberta child care or UCB child care and they'll go. They'll go. Hang on a second. I thought I thought that they announced fifteen hundred new spaces like a week ago. I I thought that they were making progress. I thought that this was good for Albertans. What about that?
4: They she did announce fifteen hundred new spaces. New childcare spaces are always a good thing. She's brought in the ability to provide overnight care, so that better supports uh, parents who work shift, work they work odd hours. So that's great. But here's the situation: because of COVID, the average program is running at fifty percent of their capacity because parents are working from home or not working, and they don't need childcare. So fifty percent of the childcare spaces in Alberta are not being accessed. What is the point of of creating fifteen hundred new spaces when there are no children to fill them? What programs about, are also having sorry. No, programs no. are also having an issue with hiring educators to work. So you you created fifteen hundred spaces with no kids to fill them and no educators to work in them.
0: So how would you reallocate the funding or the spending? Like back in January, right, the government announced some COVID support funding. They were calling it. Uh, unused surplus, right? Because of the COVID closures. Um, my understanding was that that was a bit of a cash infusion into the system. I'm glad you're here to help us understand what this actually means, because for a lot of folks, Brad, it's not going to be news to you. If this isn't part of people's everyday life, they don't understand the intricacies of it, the details of it. That would include me. So what about the funding infusion back in January? Was that an example of a positive step? Yeah. Uh-
4: Overall, it was a positive
0: step because it supported
4: all programs across Alberta. So every early learning program got COVID support funding, which is very much needed because enrollment is so low. What I do have an issue with is that she blatantly lied about where that money is coming from. So she claimed that that was unused ELCC $25 a day surplus funding. Untrue. Yes the 122 centers, we were experiencing uh, a surplus because of the closure in 2020. We were blocked from any fourth quarter spending. So from January to the end of March, we were not permitted to spend any of our grant funding except to subsidize parent fees and the increase to staff wages. So any of our events that we had planned, any of our enhancements, we we were prevented from doing that.
0: So uh, absolutely blocked so what has this meant for you i mean like first of all operating childcare through covid19 i mean i guess i could ask you how you've managed that and you would probably be able to talk for about 45 minutes i would yeah. imagine it's been a huge challenge i don't i don't want to assume has it been a huge challenge for you and your staff it has been in the beginning it has been it was a a big challenge.
4: So we were only actually closed for one week before we were reopened for essential workers. Hmm. So we've been reopened and dealing with this since March 24th um, of 2020. So how are learning long. pro- Sorry, go ahead, Brad, I don't, you go ahead. Um, early learning programs across the province have done an outstanding job of managing COVID within their centers, of keeping COVID out. The number of cases in childcare centers is very low. Educators are stepping up to do extra cleaning. Um, We are providing safe and healthy environments for parents, children, and educators. And
0: every program across Alberta needs to be congratulated for that. So what, I mean, today, how are you feeling about this? I mean, are you optimistic that something can be worked out? Do you feel like you've been punched in the gut? I mean, what are parents telling you today? What's the reality as you come into work this morning?
4: Our parents have been prepared. I've been preparing our parents for a year that this is coming, um, preparing them that this is what their fees are going to be going to. You know, working through part-time care, um, doing what we can to op- to continue to support them. Um, we had to say goodbye yesterday to a few families who were not coming back because the funding is ending. So it was a it was a sad day yesterday because there's no reason, no other reason that those families left other than they can't afford care anymore.
0: So, Brad, what would you say to the people that will hear this podcast or they'll be watching this show and and they'll say, it's not up to me to pay for somebody else's kids? I mean, I see these comments all the time. They're they're going to say, I, I, you know, my wife stayed home or I stayed home or he, you know, whatever. We made it work. Right? We didn't ask for handouts. We didn't ask for the public to pay for our childcare. We made it work. What do you say to these people?
4: I completely understand that. My my wife and I made the decision for her to stay at home. So my children were not in licensed childcare. But not every family has that ability. Not every family can function on one income. It's not a handout. The plan was not to hand select 7,500 kids to benefit from this program. The NDP's intention was to expand it to every childcare program across the province so that every family was receiving affordable care. Affordable care allows families to work. It allows women to go back into the workforce. It improves the economy, everything. And it's just been a complete slap in the face.
0: Brad, I know that there's, uh, there's been uh, some indication that at least 13 of the 100 programs that were part of this $25 a day program have been granted an extra year of transitional funding uh, to maintain their fees at $25 a day, at least 13 out of the 100 programs. Um, right. My understanding of this is that there was also no application process, and it sounds to me like you're not one of the 13. Is that accurate?
4: That's exactly right. Um, we were not, uh, we were not one of the 13 and actually from what I understand, and this is just information that I've gathered is that the 13 centers didn't even know that it was a possibility until they were contacted and said, you're receiving an extra year of funding. So it was not public. There was no knowledge that it was happening ahead of time. This plays right into the lack of honesty, the lack of transparency from the minister and the ministry of children's services. Um, they just received a phone call that said you get an extra year of funding because you meet the criteria of our risk assessment, which was you have a high level of subsidized families and the impact of losing the $25 a day funding would have an, a significant impact on your families and your educators. So no, I'm not lucky enough to be part of that, but I have families here who could have benefited from another year as to every Every program has families within it that would have benefited from an extra year.
0: Brad, you you've been in child care, you've been working in childcare. you know, coming up on 40 years, 37 years, you were telling me off air. Um, how, how would you assess the current state of childcare? I mean, you've worked in Saskatchewan and Alberta, so I guess I can say Western Canada or on the prairies or at least based on what you're noticing. It's becoming more and more a part of public conversation. Like even even in talking to people about post pandemic recovery uh, or the impact of covid on on working women or on families or how there's a disproportionate effect, a a gender bias almost in how the effect of this pandemic is impacting what economists say is going to happen over the next while. And a lot of experts are saying that a big part of covid response needs to be. Childcare for that exact reason. How would you assess the current state of childcare? Having worked in the field for you know three and a half decades, um, the the early learning sector is suffering so
4: much damage and has been since Minister Schultz took the reins. She consistently stands up and says how much she supports early learning and care programs, how much she supports families but her actions do the exact opposite. She's cut funding in early 2020, uh, right before the pandemic. Um, she cut the child care accreditation program, which recognized quality, it recognized programs for working in countless hours to provide a higher level of care to family. She cut it because she didn't feel it was working. That seems to be her... That's her thing. If a program is not working that she didn't develop, let's not change it to make it work. Let's just get rid of it. She's damaged. She is causing so much damage to, this, to the sector that with another two years of her leadership, I can't even imagine. I, I don't know that we'll ever be able to recover from what
0: she's doing. So you're doing this interview today. This is going to get people talking. People are going to be sharing this information. What's your call to action? What do you need people to do? What will you continue to do? I guess I'm asking you, what's your plan? I want
4: parents to be more vocal about not only the $25 a day, but how their uh, early learning program is being affected by COVID, by the lack of support from the province, from the comments that the minister is making, I need parents to stand up and to make that known. And early learning programs need to push back. The minister has become sort of the bully on the playground. And as we know, bullies only have power when they're allowed to do that. And the early learning sector needs to push back and let her know that we're not going to stand for it. In my perfect world, I want her to step down and stop causing damage on uh, irreversible damage to the early learning sector. And I want Premier Kenny to stop turning a blind eye to what she's doing.
0: Brad West, Executive Director of Glengarry Childcare. Thanks for your time today. Thanks for your candor. We appreciate it.
4: Great. Thanks. It's been a pleasure.
0: is watching says, Don't forget cuts to, to Puff, that's program unit funding. Uh, fscd says that also forced moms to stay home reduce hours due to lack of supports for disabled children lack of pre-kindergarten programs respite etc i mean parents we want to hear from you (laughs) jason says my here's an argument that might resonate my business thrives when the moms i have the work for me have affordable childcare." karen says this may lead to parents being forced to take their kids to unregulated unlicensed places I mean, the, this is it's something that's that's uh, that affects everybody in one way, shape or form. And for a lot of families today, like when Brad saying I saw that there was a comment earlier on our chat. I, I apologize. I don't remember who it was, but someone said, you know, we've got like, you know, one kid full time childcare, two kids so it's like twenty five hundred dollars a month. I look at these numbers. I'm going, who are these? What jobs, Sam, do these people have? I mean, it's almost like you're working full time just to pay the child care. This is not a judgment. This is just me saying I marvel at how people are able to do it. Oh,
1: <clears throat> yeah, I totally agree. I Because the thing is, I mean, it's hard for me to talk about childcare because I don't have children. So I don't have any lived experience with this, but I have friends that have children. I have friends that are kind of going that. And, and when I think about my economic situation, where I am right now, what I make, what my partner makes, if we we absolutely could not put a child into childcare right now, like that would yeah. just be a non-starter for us.
0: Maybe what we'll do is we'll do like the real talk, Childcare, we could have like a. When I worked at the Calgary Herald, they had actually childcare in the building.
1: They they had it the building mean, as well. Was, yeah, yeah, it was when super was cool.
0: It was actually super cool for parents to drop down, have lunch with their kids outside on the patio. It was actually really neat. The
1: uh, the kids in the Journal building would always go for walks right outside my office window. Yeah, <laughs> it was great.
0: Oh, I love that stuff. Uh, Chad wonders on our chat, why can't people see the connection between the need for affordable child care and getting women back to work? I mean the truth is is that so many of us Mark says we worked opposite schedules for years because we couldn't afford childcare. It's not an ideal situation nor is that an option for many people, which is also true. People people so many people can't see the value in investing in a childcare program. They can see the value in investing in, for example, corporate tax cuts to keep businesses here or to draw businesses here even if that doesn't ever actually work. Even if we hand out corporate tax cuts and businesses still lay people off and and pay out big dividends and and senior executives walk away with eight or nine figure, maybe not nine, eight figure bonuses. But we don't see the value in, in twenty five dollar a day childcare. I appreciate Brad West making the time to talk to us. We're going to hard pivot and talk about vaccines. We're going to talk about variants. We're going to talk about COVID infection rates in just a second. I want to remind you that right now the doors are wide open at Friesen Brothers 15th Alberta location in South Edmonton, just off the Anthony Henday for more than 60 years. Friesen Brothers has been proud to showcase the amazing products that are put out there by Alberta producers. So whether it's beef, pork, turkey, chicken legumes veg cheese the fresh milled flour in the famous Friesen Brothers sourdough is Alberta flour I mean they're big on supporting and buying local encourage you to check them out in 15 different Alberta communities Friesen Brothers is Alberta grown and Alberta owned the team at local waste loves to talk trash And they're gonna love trash talk on tomorrow's show. Let me tell you. Oh, you don't say. I don't even
1: know. Are people angry about something?
0: How are we gonna, how are we gonna, like, trash talk tomorrow? It's gonna be three hours long? I can't do that. The team at Local Waste via localwaste.ca wants to work with you and find a solution to your waste management debacle. You know, you've been dealing with some big multinational faceless corporation, you're not happy with the service. You called some 1-800 number and they still haven't got back to you. That's not how local waste operates. They want to compete for your business. Give Mikkel and Chris, Lauren a call today. Check out all their information on their website. Proud partners of Real Talk from inception. So is the team at Clean Air Club at CleanAirClub.ca. We've been telling you how you can save money and breathe easy the whole time. They do it by encouraging you to change your furnace filters on a schedule if you check out cleanairclub.ca you'll be able to sign up you'll see they deliver the furnace filters right to your door they keep you with friendly reminders on schedule so you know it's not like all of a sudden nine months and you pull out that filter and you go oh wow all the air in our vents has been blowing through this for six months and then you feel that that feeling in the you know what it is like i don't want to say puke in your mouth but when you're about to puke in your mouth Don't puke in your mouth. This is their next corporate statement. Don't puke in your mouth. Visit cleanairclub.ca. Encourage you to check it out. All right. This is serious business. Uh, We're going to be taking a look at at some of the numbers. Uh, The province of Alberta, the, the nation, I mean, Canada right now is experiencing... Uh, some pretty serious numbers on the COVID front, and many people are talking about a third wave. And so we wanted to bring in some experts here to help us sort out the truth uh, to ensure that we're talking in a fact-based manner. Sam, why don't we set the scene? If you don't mind taking my screen here, we'll take a look. This, uh, These are the current uh, COVID numbers in Alberta. You can check them out yourselves at home, friends. If you're listening later on the podcast, we're looking at covid 19 data. .ca uh this accurate uh, up to end of day March 30th okay so today we'll get March 31st numbers and we're always going to be a day behind um 871 cases reported on Tuesday March 30th 871 three deaths reported 301 in hospital with 63 in intensive care we want to look at the numbers And we want to look at the public health implications. And so we're grateful that these two guests have agreed to join us. Uh, Dr. Gashia Gasparovic is a developmental biologist and a researcher out of the University of Calgary. She's co-founder of the Zero COVID Canada group and she's a member of endcoronavirus.org. Dr. Lenora Saxinger is an an infectious diseases doctor who's been doing so much media advocacy that I'm always blown away when she accepts our invitations because I know every national news outlet in the country is looking to talk to her as well. To the both of you, welcome back to the show and thanks for making time for us. Thanks for having us. Um, I want to encourage the two of you to kind of work off each other. You come at this from very, uh, well, I mean, similar perspectives in the sense that obviously you're focusing on, on the numbers and on the health data, but from different angles. Uh, Dr. Saxinger, why don't we begin with you? Uh, before I start using the phrase third wave uh, intermittently throughout the show, is that accurate? Is that an, we don't want to whip people into a frenzy. We don't want to put out false information. Is it accurate to talk about a third wave right now?
2: I think it is, actually. I mean, based on our current shape and trajectory, I think calling it a third wave is a reasonable thing to do, unfortunately.
0: What is it that that leads you to believe that this could mimic earlier outbreaks that could and probably will have pretty real implications on people's lives, on people's businesses, on on, on the everyday flow?
2: Well, I mean, when we look at the uh, reproductive number across different areas of the province, and especially when you actually separate out the wild type, like our old COVID, which we have a bit of an experience in what we expect when we when we play chess with old COVID, we make a move, it makes a move. It's, it's somewhat more predictable to us at this point. But the uh, variants of concern actually have a very different pattern. And so I, I think that it's a different playing field in terms of when we try to control this how successful we expect it to be, um, and the the time over which that might happen. So, you know, I'm really quite concerned about the rise of the variants as a proportion of our overall cases. And if you look into the data as much as we can, we actually see that there's really high household spread and other private dwelling spread and spread in lots of public spaces of the variants. And so, you know, not, not changing what we're doing seems to be potentially a very significant risk, honestly.
0: In other words, are, are are you sort of saying that it might be time to shut things down for a little bit? It might be time to mimic what they're doing in B.C., what they're doing in Ontario. I mean, is that what you're getting at?
2: That is what I'm getting at. I mean, I recognize it's a really hard decision, especially because you have to try to get everyone on board with everything again. Um, but, you know, what we saw in the fall was if we wait until until we're seeing significant hospitalizations and deaths, the time lag between when you start to improve the situation and and when you actually see the results of that is quite considerable. And during that period, there's a lot of potentially preventable hospitalizations and deaths. Now it's gonna look a little different because we've had more vaccination amongst the very elderly and starting to get more within the community. But if you have enough infections across all age ranges, we still will see that effect. And we are seeing lots more people coming into hospital severely ill with the variants. Like that has been a theme noticed across the country, honestly.
0: And something I want to ask you about later, uh, I want to get to, to to Gashi here in a second, but I have seen comments from a lot of medical professionals that are saying they're seeing younger people more seriously affected health-wise, especially in hospital, 40, 50 year olds from this. Uh, Dr. Gesperovic. let me ask you the same question although I think I know the answer based on some of the amazing modeling, the graphs, the numbers that you've been making available by way of your social media. From your perspective, are we entering or are we in? Are we, are, are we, are, is it a third wave? Is that accurate?
5: Yeah, that's accurate. Like we are in, basically we are in a third wave and we've been in a variant wave since, I would say, since three months. Like it was going up uh, since January at least. It was obviously very clearly exponential growth already in mid February. Uh, It was doubling then maybe every two weeks. Now it's doubling every eight days. The numbers were still small, but if something continuously grows exponentially, there is no reason to believe that it will start, uh, that it will stop just by itself. So, yes, we are in a third wave. And now we can see it more clearly because this underwave of the variant is resurfacing from under the old variant or wild-type strain. And I would like to add on one thing about having more young people now in the hospitals. So one thing, it's of course like elderly people are vaccinated, so there is this proportion shift. But the other thing is that by itself, this new variant is shown to be to have bigger risk for hospitalization, for death, and for being admitted to ICU. So basically, everybody now infected, somebody who is infected with new variant versus with old variant, has like twice higher chances to get into the ICU than it ha- than he or she had with the old variant, and sixty percent more chance to get. Uh, to the hospital and 60% or 56% more chance to to die. And it's across all the ages.
0: Dr. Saxinger, that lines up with your experience and what you're seeing as well?
5: It does. I mean,
2: it really is a different, um, it's a more aggressive spreader and it actually does cause more severe disease. Initially, there were some questions about that, but, you know, more and more analyses from places who've had these waves Confirm that the risk is higher. And so it's um, as a last kind of battle attack from the virus. It's actually a pretty aggressive one. Hopefully the last.
0: This is a really um, I mean, it's an it's an interesting and, and and a bit of a disconcerting time. Um i'll ask you about this first because we're seeing this the the, the rise of this variant and the trends and the numbers and here we have two medical professionals we have two doctors on the show that are that are spelling this out laying it out like you know for us and then much of what i'm hearing from from everyday folks is that i'm sick of this i'm tired of it right i lost my first you know i lost one birthday party i'm not going to lose two or we lost that summer vacation. We're not losing this one. Or I can't wait to get back to normal. Or I am getting back to normal. People are starting to post photos that are showing that they're easing back into normal. And and gosh, I think your eyes are kind of, for people that are watching on YouTube, your eyes kind of just said it all. Your eyes widened like mine do a little right. bit. When we go, okay, but but hang on a second. Pump the brakes. I think people are seeing, you know, our parents got vaccinated or our grandparents got vaccinated. We're on our way out of this. But the numbers kind of indicate that maybe we're not.
5: Well, we are not. Sorry. Uh, it's like, uh, I don't know. I've sent you the the, the the prediction in the email. I don't know if you have. Yeah, well, we,
0: we've got a number of graphs. Let's put one up right now, Sam, that goes back as she. I think it goes back a number of months. Yeah, it goes back into to November. Uh, doctor, do you want to kind of take us through this and, and, and explain it for people that will be just listening to the audio?
5: Oh, this is the old one. So we are in worse.
0: Okay. <laughs> okay. That's not good, is it? We'll get, get email,
5: let's get to the fresher. Yeah. We'll get no. We can, no.
0: That's fine. Let's get to more current. I just thought that that one was neat because it mapped out. So it basically. just
5: shows how sometimes they are inaccurate in different directions. Um, so this one I made a week ago based on data up to March nineteenth, and I did these projections like how fast the variant spreads, the red line, and how fast the. Um, Overall cases uh, spread like the blue line, uh, and like last ten points on this graph, like black ones and the red ones, uh, are just the reported cases since there since the this projection was done. And you can see they, they follow very closely the uh, the predicted trajectory. So basically, this trajectory shows that uh, in mid April we'll have two thousand cases, which was at Peak value in our previous wave. And at the end of April, we can have 4,000. So, and it's pretty robust. I, I don't think that there is something to, that can shift it. Like vaccines, we have still too little people vaccinated to significantly reduce the reproductive number.
0: So you're saying we could have 4,000 cases Uh, by April 29th I mean I'm looking we have a monitor up on screen right now a live news monitor is showing me that they've just announced 1,271 cases in Quebec so we're talking approximately three times the more than three times the cases they'd see in Quebec Dr. Saxinger, when you look at that as an infectious disease physician now it's not a guarantee it's a mapping right it's a trend mapping based on the numbers what does that say to you?
2: Well, whenever I look at projections of any kind, I think that, you know, they, they illustrate one of a range of possible futures. And it's important to do that. You have to actually see, like, what is the worst case scenario if if nothing changes and the current rate of growth continues, what would happen? And, and I think that that's really what you, you do need to look at your planning for. Um, I think one of the things we've seen again and again is that when people look at modeling projections and then they don't come true, they say, well, that was wrong. But I think the whole point of modeling projections is that they don't come true. And so even if we don't see, you know, widespread mitigation measures put in place by the government, increased public awareness um, of, of the issues that we're facing. And actually, you know, people seeing friends, family, loved ones getting sick actually can modify behavior. And so I never think that the worst case scenario is ever set in stone. It's likely to be modified somewhat by messaging along the way. The biggest modifications to all of those slopes, though, is when we actually take a concerted rules-based effort and decide what's okay and what's not okay during this period of risk. And and so, you know, that's why we see this very mixed bag of measures in place um, across the country, across countries in general. Um, And then we also see quite a mix of what individuals choose to do within those restrictions as well. So it, it is a very complex situation, but illustrating... What could happen um, really tells us kind of what we how seriously we need to take the current uh, numbers,
0: essentially. It, it's remarkable to me. what's, It's not lost on me. <clears throat> the role that social media has been playing through this pandemic and keeping people educated in both of your accounts. Uh, doctors have been have been remarkable sources for information for me and I know for a lot of people. Uh, Dr. Gasparovitz. in a minute, I want to take a look at, at some mapping that you did with the new variant. But first, this was this was one that you shared Uh, From Robson Fletcher uh, from the CBC, who's also, by the way, just doing a hell of a job. And and gosh, maybe you can take us through this because it does show what Dr. Saxinger was just talking about, doesn't it? Where, for example, November 24th, we see infections really rising, like like really surging December 8th. The lockdown style restrictions come to Alberta and then we see it drop. Right. This is this is in a way it should be seen as somewhat of an encouraging graph in the sense that it demonstrates that these measures can work, yeah,
5: yeah. Everywhere in the world, lockdown-style restrictions, both during first wave and second wave, they work like like magic. They work better than vaccinations could work because in vaccines cannot bend the curve that fast. And lockdown-like restriction, they bend the curve fast. And if they are strong, then they reduce cases very quickly, like New Zealand was halving every four days. We've been in the first way halving our cases every eight days. Unfortunately, like during the second wave, our halving time was two or three weeks, something like that. Uh, but but what was interesting during the second wave, and I could see it also in Czech Republic, that there were this limited like mockdowns, like slow restrictions added. And then, once the lockdown like restriction was put almost instantaneously without any luck, we could see the, the drop. So, it's, uh, this is actually encouraging that something strong and strong messaging that, okay, we are in a really bad situation. Everybody has to do everything one can uh, actually works.
0: It's a hard sell, though, isn't it, Lenora? It's a hard sell for a lot of people that, quite frankly, are just sick and tired and and, and maybe they don't think they're going to get. I'm not even hypothetical. This isn't like this is what people tell us This is what people say. You know, I had a friend that got it. It wasn't that bad. I had a friend that got it. Didn't even know about it. Mild headache. Not worried about it. Not going to lose the summer. Right. Like, what does the messaging need to be?
2: You know, I think that there's been a really strong cohort of people who have been doing either, you know, the the level of restrictions requested or more since the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And they're probably feeling both underappreciated and angry right now. <laughs> and I have great sympathy for that because I actually have sort of just been like in my basement here or at the hospital for the last year and a bit. And um, I, th- I think that uh, that group has really actually done a lot of le- heavy lifting and really affected how things have, have gone gone because it could be so much better even just looking. You know, five hours south of us, um, or more, I guess, um, to to the U.S. Um, they had tenfold our most aggressive infection rates easily, and it was it was horrible. So that work actually has done a lot of good things, and those people are tired. Then we have people who probably might not be paying as much attention, and if it's something's open, they'll go. Um, and so if it's there, they'll go, and 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 you know, it, it's kind of more of a a light touch approach, I guess. And and uh, I think that that group actually really is the group where if we have more formal restrictions in place, they'll go along with it um, and their activities will shift enough that it can actually really change transmission. And then I think there is actually a group of people who just don't really buy any of it. And I don't think that you know they necessarily would be expected to be impacted by anything that wasn't really strongly supported with enforcement. And, and so to me, the, the group that's most important is that middle group um, and the first group. So the middle group, I, I think some structure and some clear expectations and some re-engagement and some re-messaging can make a really big difference. And I am so sympathetic to everyone being tired. And then for the first group, I think that a, you know, a, a thank you and a pep talk might help too. But at the end of the day, it has to be clear it has to be, you know, fairly simple. Um, and you know, putting things on individuals' judgment results in quite a range of activity. And if it's if we have a range of activity that results in a fair number of people still contacting a fair number of people, we're actually just going to be in trouble, honestly. Uh,
0: Doctor Gasparovitch, let, let's take a look at some of this mapping. Um, you, you put this out just a short time ago, a couple of days ago. I think B one seventeen grows extremely fast in Alberta, and you've shown us the numbers and uh you know we talked to dr michael mann a climate scientist a while ago and this might qualify as his hockey stick graph the one that put him on the map about 20 years ago talking about global warming <laughs> this is not where you want to see a graph trending um can you take us into this can you help us understand this it shows that the doubling time here seven and a half days the the r value one almost one and a half which is uh i don't want to put words in your mouth but is it wouldn't that qualify as almost off the charts
5: yeah, it's it's extremely fast. So, now it's like more like oh, 8.5 days which is like one more day to double the cases. That's not much better. Uh, yeah, it's it's exponential growth. So, it's, it it just goes super fast. So, if you now have 200 cases in 8 days, you will have 400 in another 8 days, you will have 800 then one thousand three six hundred it, it, it just it just goes super fast, and there is this illusion with the, with the exponential growth that if you have at the beginning, when you just double from two to four to eight, so it takes a week to go from two cases to four cases, and four cases are still a little, and then eight, and then sixteen. So people don't notice that it's exponential there then. But that's the moment when you should be totally super worried, super concerned and try to try to do something, because then with small cost, you can stop it while stopping it when it's like at 400 cases and 800 cases. It's it's extremely difficult.
0: Well, you you tweeted at the premier and the health minister uh, just a few days on March 28th. So, yeah, three days ago. Um, and, and Sam, maybe we can put that up again, because these are numbers. Now, these are projections but these are these this would be terrifying if this was the truth i'm not trying to fearmonger here but if by april 17th depending on how easter goes by the way with everybody you know 2000 daily new variant cases could be 4000 by the end of april could be 8000 by may 2nd could be 10000 by may 5th i mean dr saxinger that that to me if I understand the numbers correctly, would absolutely overwhelm the healthcare system. And if we're looking at the implications, the health implications of the variant, this could be a real problem. As your co panelist here pleads with the premier, prevent a disaster. Can you see this actually playing out?
2: I would make the prediction that, you know, along the road there, we would actually signal from the healthcare system that we were overwhelmed and that we probably would never reach that point. I guess it kind of comes down to a discussion of what's the trigger to reintroduce restrictions and the timing of that. I mean, back in the fall, there was increasing concern really starting in October um, and then letters starting in November and then a lockdown in December. And, uh, And we know there's a delayed peak from the cases in the community to deaths, basically the 23 week peak from case peak to death peak. And along the way, you see a lot of hospitalizations and ICU um, use. So, you know, if we continue to you know, officially toggle off hospitalization and death rates, I think that we would see some restrictions coming into place before that. I think one of the things that's really challenging right now is our old ways of predicting what we thought was going to happen have, have become questionable because the variant is different. More people end up in hospital, more people end up in ICU. And the age shift is also significant. And so, you know, in the past we would say that if you were forty, your likelihood of ending up in hospital isn't that high. I think that number is different now. So we're also in a in a new zone of trying to understand what's gonna happen as, as things are already starting to happen so yes those numbers are terrifying and the math would be you know what i would expect but i i actually think that even in the worst case scenario we would be seeing restrictions put into place before we hit those numbers because the hospital capacity would have been exceeded far before
0: hmm. I, i've got a great comment here from joanne who says but but like really is a pep talk gonna work for for a community for example like grace life church west of edmonton that You know, the pastor now out of jail and and first thing he can do is get back in and get hundreds and hundreds of people back in together. I mean, it it was reported yesterday. We saw that. uh, I mean, journalists are doing an amazing job in the story that there were cases of covid-19 in that church congregation in the past year. Joanne says they flaunt what they're doing. They're way above the 15 percent capacity. Meantime, the government would shut down a restaurant in a heartbeat. Um, and, And what she's saying is true. I mean, there's nothing incorrect or inaccurate about what Joanne is saying, right?
2: Except I wasn't suggesting a pep talk for that group. No, no I was suggesting I know. a pep talk for the group that's been doing the good things all along because they're awesome.
0: As a matter of fact, um, I think I think you respect. I think you clearly stated that a pep talk would not work for a group like that. And I'm not you know, but I think Joanne's just saying like pep talks aren't going to resonate like you said with a lot of people.
2: there really is an issue, I think, around people whose beliefs um, that they're immersed in, like the entire information environment they're in is different than most of ours, I would have to say, to the point that they really strongly believe that this is all bunk. And therefore, that group really, the only options come down to to enforcement measures. And public health does have powers to do that when
0: necessary. So, Dr. Gasparovic, what's, I mean... Right now, I mean, you've 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 actually been a pretty outspoken advocate for essentially a COVID zero campaign. Last time you were on the show, that's exactly what you were talking about, and you've taken some hits from people for it. Uh, I have to say that that oftentimes, uh, looking back, track records kind of speak for themselves, and a lot of the stuff that you said was going to happen last time you were on the show did happen. So you have that going for you. Uh, you got a lot of stuff going for you with regards to the numbers and the data. What's your message to people? It's, it's not lost on us. We're heading into the Easter weekend. We're heading into spring. We're into spring. Weather's nicer. I mean, on the, on, the, on the plus side, it means people can get outside and can recreate and gather in small groups and keep their distance. There are some pluses, but at the same time, we know it is going to mean that people are mixing and mingling closer. That's just a fact. That is going to happen. Um, so, so, what's your message to people this morning?
5: So, I would keep contacts outside my household to a minimum, basically to zero. Hmm. just to not let the this new variant to not not to give it any opportunity to jump to another person or to me and then transfer it to another person, basically, to give it no chance. So that's why if I'm meeting with someone who is outside of my my household, I would do it outside with a mask on and with a distance. Um, and in the perfect world, it would be just one person. Um, but probably I won't do it. I won't even do that. And, um, and then thinking also about this first and second group of people that Dr. Zaxinger talked about, uh, I think that we left them alone in some way because people, I, I know a lot of people who who really sacrificed already. They, they, they live in sort of private lockdown for a year already. So they're doing a great job. And because what I, they are doing, our spread is not as fast as, as it could be. And, but then they, there's no end, end goal here. There's no planned end game. Uh, something that could be finished already a few times by now. Uh, is still dragging on and if we would so so it's it's sort of unfair to people who really do a lot to stop the chains of transmission because they they are stopping the chains of transmission but whenever we are at like 300 cases or in summer 220 to 20 cases we reopen and again let the virus spread which is which is totally not not very smart actually and and now with the third wave, so we will have it. With strong measures, we can bend the curve. Uh, but then if we reopen again without getting cases to zero, with B117, if, if we will be on something uh, on the restrictions that are just a little bit less strict than our last spring lockdown or shutdown, it will start spreading again because it's so much faster, so much more transmissible than all the variants. So basically, this mitigation is not, we won't see a slow growth. Like during the summer, we had the slow growth doubling every 60 days. Uh, I don't think we will, once we reopen, we will have this again with B117, because it's it's so much faster. Uh, so I, I think we cannot anymore um, have this kind of slow, aiming for slow burn, because we didn't even have a slow burn. Um, so what I mean is that we really should give people some something to aim for and covid free life is is something to to aim for and to have life like in New Zealand and Australia,
0: Jill, uh, I think it was Jillian. Someone wrote in to say uh, just a short time ago, they've got like, I don't know if they're using hyperbole, but they said basically New Zealand has like three cases and they're locking down again. They say that the doctor is right. We need to do it. Uh, meantime, Dr. Saxinger, I hear people saying, you know, somewhat in, in exasperated fashion that, uh, well, maybe this is just going to be kind of part of our reality for the next couple of years. Maybe there are going to be cases. Maybe it's just going to be hand sanitizer and masks. Maybe it's even part of the reality. Do you concur with what Dr. Gasparovic said? Or do you see it a little bit differently? Where are you at right now? What's your message to the audience?
2: Well, I'm actually focusing on the short to medium term mostly right now because I really think that we have to handle this next little period very carefully. And I think that kind of the, the real end game is really vaccines versus variants and how much we manage to reduce the, you know, the the danger of the virus while we're rolling out vaccines is, I think, a really big first goal. Whether or not um, you know a, a complete suppression strategy could really get rid of this virus in a situation that we have here, I think is—I think it's aspirational um, for a few reasons. There's there's a lot of cross-border traffic, and and one of the things that you really need is to reduce reintroduction from other places that don't have the same policies. And so you'd have to have incredibly strict border controls that were enforced. Um, and very strict quarantine for travelers. And that's, you know, that's what they're doing in New Zealand and Australia, really. But they, they don't have this long land border that's a little more difficult. The two other things that worry me biologically are the possibility of prolonged shedding of infectious virus from people who are immunocompromised who've been infected. And the fact that now the variants seem to have a broader number of animals that it can infect. And so there's a possibility of an animal reservoir. So if we're talking about, you know, eradication as a potential goal, I think there's some science questions. I think that, you know, suppressing very strongly um, while we're doing vaccine rollout is actually something that is important because I really think the roller coastering that we're seeing is is really difficult for the healthcare system for people um, to manage. And um, and having a, like, as I said, having like an end game in mind and some kind of a plan that people can look forward to, I think is very important as well. So I see myself as something of a moderate because I would love to be in Australia or New Zealand, but they also had to do a lot of things very, very differently. And they also have a population that was actually willing to do it. So the political will and the population will to support a really strong suppression st- strategy is something that must happen. And um, it's hard to see how we would get there from where we are right now, honestly.
0: Yeah, Greg's watching and he says our the, the chance that we had to take hold of 117 was like three months ago. Um, <laughs> it's like talking to somebody when they're 55 that's thinking about getting started on RRSPs, right? It's like, you know, that was kind of more. I mean, do it, but it's kind of more when you were 25 was when you should have started. I don't want to say what it could have should have, but I, go ahead, Lenore. I know you want to say something. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, I was going to say that, you know, I'm I going to just kind of give a little bit of kudos here because my understanding um, is that because public health actually had a unit devoted to contacting, contact tracing um, and isolating and and um, and so on, the, the variant cases quite a lot earlier than some other provinces, that if you compare what we have here, which is not great. I mean, like it's a dumpster, dumpster fire everywhere. Our dumpster fire is a little less bad than some other places because they did have a dedicated response to the variants. And so we're in a, we're in a better p- place than we would have been um, had that not happened. So our labs started testing earlier. We started seeing cases earlier, and they did devote extra resources to, to trying to trace um, and quarantine contacts earlier. And so uh, I, I think that our growth has been lower than it might have been for that reason. Having said that, there's going to quickly come a time when those resources are no longer going to be able to manage um, even to the degree that they
0: have. Lenora, that can be our next Alberta marketing campaign. You know, come to Alberta. Our dumpster fire is a little less bad. (laughs) That'll be how we can market ourselves. Uh, Tracy on the live chat says, I appreciate the pat on the head and I appreciate the pep talk for doing the right thing. But what would make me feel better, says Tracy, is the people who are doing the wrong thing getting those promised tickets the enforcement that we're not seeing. And I know a lot of people, we could debate education and enforcement all we want. Um, I want to give both of you a chance to, to sort of offer a last word here before I thank you for your time. I know you've made time in your morning for us and we appreciate it. Uh, but Dr. Saxinger, is if I'm going to have you here and not ask you about AstraZeneca, we our current uh, question of the week presented by Y Station, our research and strategy partner at ryanjesperson.com, people can answer the question of the week. We're asking them about how they feel about the vaccine rollout and the questions get into it. And I can tell you, I can look at the dashboard and see where, where the question of the week is at midweek and the AZ vaccine, AstraZeneca is getting hammered. It's getting absolutely hammered in the public polling. Um, We've seen announcements that people under 55 should not be getting that vaccine. There's thoughts about blood clots, however rare they may be, but a lot of countries have been easing off. I mean, this is your wheelhouse. Can you help us make sense of of the facts that matter? Maybe some of the scuttlebutt that is irrelevant. I mean, what do people need to know right now?
2: Well, I mean, I'll point out that AstraZeneca is paused right now and the pauses for Health Canada to more fully examine the data around not just like the any blood clot, like the deep vein thrombosis, pulmonary embolus, regular blood clot story, I think has been put to bed. I think that one's not an issue, and you don't have to worry about it, honestly. Um, The bigger issue is this low platelets, weird blood clot scenario, the cerebral venous thrombosis category, which in total had something in the realm of 18 or 20 cases, over about 11 million people in kind of clusters. Um, And, you know, there were nine deaths associated with that. Um, Looking back over the same time period in the same European populations, they were actually having over a thousand deaths a day of COVID um, over the same time period. So it's like 0.01 deaths per day versus a thousand deaths per day from COVID over the same time period. And there's still, I think, a little bit of work to figure out whether all the cases were captured and why it seemed to cluster in basically just two countries. So I don't mind the pause because that group of people with that extremely rare side effect really were young, younger women, essentially. And so the vaccine has been shown to be safe and possibly even more effective in real world studies than the mRNA vaccines in older people. So at the moment, I think it's an excess of caution with a pause. I think it's a good vaccine with terrible PR. Um, and I, I think that we really have problems communicating risk adequately. Um, risk communication is a real minefield, but I prescribe you an antibiotic that you've never had before. And for something that you need to have treated and people take it and the risk of a bad event from that vaccine from the vaccine is about the same as the risk of a bad event from that a- antibiotic and no one thinks twice about it. So there is really a framing problem as well. Um, and the risk of the disease is considerable.
0: I appreciate both of your time so very much. Uh, doc- Dr. but before we thank you for your time, is there anything that we didn't get to today that you wanted to make sure our audience knows about anything that's critical that they pay attention to.
5: So basically the most important thing is that good policies work. And if we want to end COVID, we need good policies and we need to kind of make a push towards the people who make decisions to make good decisions, because some things are beyond what individual can do. Like we cannot like change, climate change on just by one person action. The same is with COVID. We need good policies. And there are two good um, activist groups in Alberta and in Canada. In Canada, more of course. One is Zero COVID Canada. The webpage is zerocovidcanada.org. And the other, Alberta um, equity focused group that also advocates for. Zero COVID for elimination and for being fair to people who take the brand of this disease uh, is go for zero, go for zero dot And on April tenth, there will be international push for ending the p- pandemic. Uh, it's COVID Action COVID Action Day. It's April tenth, so probably a lot of groups will. Yeah we'll try to gather and spread the information, how it can be done, how it can be tackled, how different things like land borders can be addressed because a lot of people have solutions to this, like Canadian Shield Group in Canada, in Eastern Canada has a solution to this. Um, So, And of course, like awareness of long COVID, awareness of like the animal reservoirs, the more COVID we have, the more chance of bigger animal reservoirs we can generate. That's why because of any anim- risk of animal reservoirs, we should aim to end COVID as fast as possible to limit this risk.
0: I'll tell you every time I talk to to, to either of you, let alone both of you I always participate in the interview. And then I always go back and watch it again later. I feel like I learned something every single, I learned multiple things every single time. I'm grateful for your perspectives coming at this from different angles, but obviously uh endeavoring uh, to achieve the same goal uh Dr uh, Gashia Gasparovich uh, Dr Lenora Saxinger thank you so much for your time thank you for the work that you're doing on behalf of Albertans on behalf of Canadians
5: thank you thank very you. much
0: you bet Emma's watching she says i don't really understand the argument it's too late now you know if if you, if you set out to lose 50 pounds last year and you didn't would you write yourself forever at that point we could start a covid zero approach today You could smoke your last cigarette today. As a matter of fact, the smoke that you just butted out. Why don't you tell yourself that's the last one you're watching right now? You actually just butted out your smoke and you got real talk playing in the house. You're like, Jesperson, why did you? Ah, Because, you know, you should, you know, you should make that your last one. Don't make it a big thing. Just don't smoke. Just don't do it. Go for the first run today. Do something, turn over, save, put $5 in a savings account today. Or say no to the big smash birthday party that you're going to have off the record. Whatever it is, small steps, you can start it now. Emma's right. I hope that you learned something from those two doctors. I know that I sure did. Uh, We're going to learn in just a moment why a uh, University of Regina associate professor says that it is time for a public inquiry into how the Alberta government's handled COVID outbreak at meatpacking plants. Uh, first, let me remind you that later today, I'm super excited. As a matter of fact, it's coming up uh, in just about three hours, three hours and change. It'll be live at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 3 p.m. Eastern. Proud to host the three minute thesis competition. That's the 3MT Competition in partnership with the University of Alberta's graduate students. They're very interesting people doing very interesting things, and this is a neat opportunity to learn about the research that they're doing in three minutes or less. Plus, they're competing for first place, first runner up, and the People's Choice Award, which you can vote on right now at uab.ca slash 3MT UAB.ca slash 3MT if you want to watch it today live I'm proud to be hosting it Uh, you can watch it on their website or you can watch it right here streaming on our Real Talk Ryan Jesperson channel it's going to be a really neat it's essentially the elevator pitch for graduate research so they're going to be able to tell us in three minutes or less what they're doing and why it's important and I'm super excited about it the team at McBain Camera has been proudly serving Alberta's photography community since 19. 49 They're Alberta's best destination for photographers and content creators, and that includes that Panasonic DC-G9 camera. This is the one that can lock focus in a fraction of a second and shoot up to 20 frames a second. With 5-axis image stabilization, it means if you're shooting handheld without a tripod or with a big, long lens, you're not going to get blurry photos. They're going to be tack sharp. Plus... When you order a Panasonic G9 today at mcbaincamera.com and use the promo code REALTALK, thats just one word—you'll receive a free spare battery with your order. And if you know, you just need to see how Sam Brooks' eyes light up when you talk about spare batteries for photographers. This is never like never have too many. If you were to say that this a spare battery, a, a free spare battery for using the promo code REALTALK at mcbaincamera.com would be like. Can you think of a metaphor? What a free spare battery would be like
1: it's like uh it's like buying a new car and they're like you know what we're gonna give you winter tires with that Ooh, good
0: one good one i don't know why i thought of this it's probably because i skipped breakfast this morning but i was thinking it's like ordering a slice of apple pie and they bring it with a slice of cheddar cheese on top delicious Mm. (sighs) the apple pie cheddar cheese combo flies under the radar for a lot of people i think it shouldn't it's amazing it shouldn't and you're right it is amazing now, they don't necessarily sell apple pie with cheddar cheese slices at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park, but maybe they could. They could probably whip something like that up. I bet you they could do that. They've got the cheddar cheese for for the burgers. They've got the... Well, why don't we stick to what they've asked us to talk about? Every night after 8 o'clock, instead of inventing menu items on the fly, after 8 o'clock every single night at these six Dairy Queens, the ones that support Real Talk... Mark and Michael's shops for five bucks. You can mix and match any two medium sundays or dipped cones. That's two for five dollar treat night after 8 p.m. every night at the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park. Internal documents this reported by the CBC uh, just a couple of days ago. Some some excellent reporting by their investigative duo of Jenny Russell and Charles Rosnell uh, show that the Alberta government and health officials prioritized keeping the Cargill meat packing plant open as a matter of fact critics are saying that they kept or prioritized keeping the plant open over the workers safety even as infection rates skyrocketed the Alberta Federation of Labor now is calling for a public inquiry and that call is supported by Sean Tucker who's a professor of Occupational Health and Safety out of the University of Regina. Dr. Tucker, thanks so much for making time for us this morning, and welcome to Real Talk. Good morning, Ryan this was uh, easily one of the highest profile stories, certainly early in this pandemic. And I'm talking nationally, maybe internationally, as we saw these outbreaks at, in particular, two meatpacking plants in Southern Alberta that ultimately led to at least three deaths. And and we don't know the long-term health effects on many of the other workers who were injured. How did you become involved in this story?
6: Uh, Charles, uh, Reached out to me a few weeks ago and uh, asked me if I'd be interested in providing an independent analysis of the documents that uh, he and uh, Jenny had obtained. And it was like drinking out of a fire hose. There were 600 pages. And uh, I mean, I don't have my head around everything in there. I focused mainly around this town hall event they had for Cargill. But that's uh, that's how I got involved.
0: Now, know, can you tell us, I mean, generally speaking, you, you know, you go through 600 pages. Obviously, you saw a lot. Um, but what really jumped out at you in the context of of your expertise in occupational health and safety?
6: Yeah, so I'm really focused on, OK, what's the role of the regulators and Alberta Public Health Service in this uh, in this uh, incident? And also around words and actions. So I'm interested in, okay, what are people saying about the importance of safety? And they're saying all the right things, you know, safety is a number one priority. Uh, we're doing everything we can to protect workers. And then what are they saying kind of behind the scenes and doing behind the scenes? And you see a gap, a gap there. And I'll give you one example, if I could. So in the documents, there's a, what I assume is like a minister briefing note and it. Um, we see drafts of it over time. So we see draft, I think, around the 18th of April is when they had this town hall at Cargill. And then we see a final draft on April 21st. I don't know if the statements in the briefing note, which they call the narrative, were uh, actually said on the public record. But this gives us some insight into what they're thinking about. And one of the statements that sort of drew in my attention was that the. Um, uh, the Cargill plant is completely safe from the perspective of uh, Ministry of Labor, OH&S and uh, Alberta Health Services. And that statement appears in the final briefing document on April 21st. This is the day after Cargill has shut the plant down, after there's been a reported death of a Cargill worker and over 500 infections. So a statement like that it tells you that there was a detachment from reality here. This plant clearly had issues there. Uh, clearly, people were getting sick uh, through through their work there, and also other settings and carpooling and in households as well. Um, but you don't make a statement like that after the plant closes. And I've I don't know any regulator who would ever say said environment is completely safe. They might say they're in compliance with the regulations, but you don't make a blanket statement like that.
0: Uh, I don't want to take anything for granted. So sometimes I've got to ask obvious questions. (laughs) Why is it problematic that a statement was issued that it was completely safe? I mean, can you spell it out for us?
6: So that 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 was in a briefing note and that gives us some insight into what they're thinking. I don't know if they ever made that statement, but it certainly informed statements they made at the town hall, virtual town hall on April 18th. Why is it important? They officials are not, um, they're not willing to take another step and examine infection in the plant. They're assuming, and this, relates to Dr. Henshaw's comments and her other public health officials that it's primarily and mostly due to carpooling and uh, household transmission and so what it tells us is they're not looking at the plant and the problem in the plant is the workers express at the town hall and as the union expresses is that cargill is not um, has not implemented the public health measures that Dr. Henshaw and others have recommended. That there's still gaps in implementation, and that there's still pressure to return to work uh, when when workers are ill. And this this is a problem. And you know, the Global Mail reported on this in in May of last year. Um, it there's it's widely documented that there were issues with the implementation of public health measures there. And the, I would say further that there. The, the Alberta Workers' Compensation Board has, well, it, will, it did not share the number of uh, COVID claims from Cargill workers with me. It did provide data on COVID claims across the meat processing sector. And they've accepted 95% of them is work-related. Um, so that also tells us that if the Alberta WCB is accepting these claims that there was transmission in the plants during the course of work.
0: Okay. So here, I mean, here's this with regards to timelines. I mean, this is a tweet from Alberta's agriculture minister. Uh, this is April 18th of 2020 uh, from Devin Drieschen, who's quoting a report in the Calgary Sun. Uh, this from his official account as ag minister on April 18th, quote, the Cargill plant has taken all necessary measures to mitigate risk to its staff. This includes temperature testing, enhanced cleaning, sanitizing disallowing visitation installing plastic dividers implementing staggered breaks and more now now that's coming from the ag minister so to me that that operates as essentially an endorsement i mean he it, it appears as though whether or not he's technically making the statement uh that he is pushing the statement out uh as as, as a, a way to i suppose calm the public now if you look at the timeline that was april 18th april 6th the first worker at cargill's plant tests positive April 13th, uh, the union brings 38 COVID cases to the attention of the media, right? Uh, The union says the plant is unsafe and should be shut down. April 15th, Alberta Occupational Health and Safety conducts a video inspection of the plant. In other words, an OHS officer was not willing to attend the plant, which is pretty interesting. And then on April 17th, Dr. Dina Hinshaw announces 358 COVID cases related to the outbreak. That's a pretty tough look on the on the minister.
6: Yeah. And, and you know, briefly, you know, the ag minister, you know, he's, you know, I think advocating for industry, which is is, is he's he's allowed to do that. That's that's fine. But other arms of government, in this case, the Ministry of Labor and Immigration also has responsibilities and they are to ensure compliance with uh, Occupational Health and Safety legislation. So I don't know the basis for that tweet. Um, but what's problematic is that the arm of government, the Ministry of Labor and Immigration, that's responsible for compliance with oh regulations, does the video uh, inspection, but also at the town hall, and this is problematic, says to workers, bring, bring me your complaints and we'll investigate them. There's no commitment to proactive investigations, um, to uh, making statements that the employer is responsible for health and safety. So it's one thing to to say somebody's uh, or to say recommend uh, prevention measures. It's quite another thing to ensure that they're implemented effectively.
0: So ultimately, um, you know, three workers die. Over nine hundred and fifty workers are infected. Uh, in January of 2021, the RCMP initiates an investigation under the Criminal Code uh, into Cargill's activities. What do you believe a public inquiry would accomplish? I mean, you've stated on the record that you believe there needs to be one. Why do you think it's important?
6: Yeah. I've I've been interviewed probably over a hundred times at various OH&S incidents. I've never called for a public inquiry before. Um, they're reserved for, I think, the most serious incidents. And this, this is in my judgment, one of them. Um, At the time it was the largest COVID outbreak in North America. It remains the largest outbreak in Canada. Ultimately with a public inquiry, you want to know what went wrong and what we can do prevent it from happening again. There's been other public inquiries in Canada, boards of commission set up to look into COVID outbreaks in a long, long long-term care facility. So there's precedent for doing that in Canada. And ultimately, you want to learn lessons and not, not repeat them. We have, with CBC's uh, reporting, uh, new evidence here. It raises many questions about what happened and um, regulatory bodies, those who had regulatory responsibilities that didn't carry through with them or there was gaps there, that needs, that needs to be looked at to prevent this doesn't happen again. And we know since uh, last April that meat processing plants that COVID, it really likes that environment. It's cold, it's damp, sometimes workers to communicate uh, over um, machinery speak loudly. So even if you're wearing a mask, you can still get transmission. A a PPE uh, in a mask does not provide perfect protection. So there's more evidence here. And um, there's still, I think, a lot of misunderstanding. I noticed on Twitter uh, when when the story came out, there's still people insisting, well, it's 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 how these workers and I'd say they're vulnerable, marginalized workers are, are are living their living conditions. And I think that's a misunderstanding and that needs to be probed and corrected.
0: We really appreciate your time this morning. Uh, Dr. Sean Tucker is a professor uh, who specializes in occupational health and safety uh, through the Faculty of Business Administration at the University of Regina. Thanks for making time for us.
6: Thank
0: you, Ryan. Does this ever I mean, I know I know it's not lost on you, Sam, but to me, every single time uh, we hear a story like this, I'm so grateful that there are and 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 Charles Rusnell and Jenny Russell, I want to be very clear uh, that they are the ones that are driving this story. Investigative journalists with the CBC, how grateful we need to be for journalists that are that are operating through the course of all of this and working on stories like this to dig up this type of stuff.
1: Yeah. And I mean, I, those of us that run in the media community, like we know a handful of journalists, they are tired. They are taxed out. They're doing this out of their bedrooms right now. Like I think that, You and I both know that when you go to report a story you want to get on the ground you want to get people in people's face You want to show them the data you want to do that like Charles Russell and Jenny Russell can't do that right now Yeah, and there's just their job becomes so much harder in this scenario and they're churning out just
0: some Incredible reporting. It's really important stuff Uh, You know Corey writes in and says some of these plants its profit over employee safety Um, Alyssa says this is thinly veiled racism um, Kim indicating how, how grateful she is for the reporters that are doing a lot of this I wish I, I gosh I haven't had I mean it's just been yeah I mean even Emma right now is going video inspection like video inspection shouldn't that raise red flags everywhere when when an OHS officer is unwilling to attend the site in person well and I'm I- not saying I blame them
1: and And by the way, I, I will say as a as a career photographer, videographer, uh, everybody knows that when you do something by video, you're you're not showing something that's off camera, right? you're You're seeing the entire plant through a 16 by nine window and trusting whoever's operating the camera is showing you everything.
0: Yeah, Fatima says, you know our numbers have to be massively underreported. you know, from workplaces encouraging employees not to get tested, people not wanting to take off work to test or to quarantine. That's a great point, too. Uh, we're going to I mean, we are just back and forth. You know, if you if you were listening to this show, you might be for the past number of or for the past number of months, quite frankly, to be honest, you might say, is this a, is this a show that's only ever just about Alberta? And I know it feels that way, especially right now with our coverage. It's, there's so much going on right now. Alberta's news stories are kind of leading the headlines across the country, both due to COVID. No, not exclusively and a lot of other stories as well, including the curriculum redesign. And we're gonna get to more of your emails on that. Plus Audrey Poitras, who's president of the Métis Nations of Alberta is gonna join us in just a few moments. Um, We wanted to remind you how grateful we are to have the support of the teams at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. They've got the best selection, not just of Ram trucks, you know that. I mean, Sherwood Dodge like led the country in Ram truck sales for the better part, I mean, for years. Um, and it's been the destination for people that are working in the trades people that are hitting the road pulling trailers whatever it is or maybe it's your daily driver you know that you'll find the province's best selection of ram trucks at sherwood and st albert dodge but what about the jeep lineup when you think of these two dealerships think jeep from the compass i mean from the 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 grocery getters right all the way up to the cherokee the grand cherokee the, the seven seater grand cherokee l and then the grand wagoneer The 2021 Jeep lineup is, won't say a complete overhaul, but it's extremely exciting, especially the reintroduction of that Grand Wagoneer. You'll find the best selection in the province at St. Albert and Sherwood Dodge. Also wanted to give a big shout out to the team at Eden Landscaping. For more than 20 years, they've been designing people's dreams and then building them. You don't have to hire a landscape architect and then hire a contractor. They'll handle it all for you and they love to work with budgets big and small i mean you've got a tight budget but you've got a really clear vision they can work with it you've got a bit more of a flexible budget maybe you've built your dream home and you don't want to just go with the sod that the builder's going to give you eden landscaping should be your first call check out the work that they've done at LandscapeEdmonton.ca. Well, yesterday, despite the fact that Alberta's premier claims that indigenous groups are endorsing the draft curriculum released K to six from the province of Alberta and Alberta Education, the Metis Nation of Alberta calling on the government to redraft that exact curriculum, citing what they call monumental concerns about the Euro American colonial undertones. They say that they had very little input into the design of the curriculum, despite several attempts to be included in the committees that were established. Audrey Poitras was elected as the Métis Nation of Alberta's first female president back in 1996. She is the longest serving president of the MNA. President Poitras, it's wonderful to have you here on Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us.
3: Thank you for inviting me. So it's premier to
0: be here. premier Kenny yesterday says that he's had indigenous groups widely endorse this curriculum. Uh, certainly doesn't seem to be the case uh, with regards to the Métis nation of Alberta. Can you take us into this?
3: Certainly. Uh, we were very excited to think that K to 12 curriculum was going to be redrafted and that we would have some input. There was committee set up. We actually had people, um, put on those committees. And during that time, we actually had some, um, discussions with them, with the ministry, with the minister herself in, in saying that just putting on committees, but not being heard is not, is not effective. We need to be heard. We need to clearly when you're talking about the history, uh, the, the what our children are going to be learning for the future, it's OK to talk about ancient civilization and how it's impacted our, our society, but it's not OK to lead out, leave out all the important um, history, the, the knowledge that comes from the Indigenous people of this country. And when you talk about Indigenous people, it's First Nations, Métis and Inuit, and you should not leave anyone out. And we just feel like there was so much more that could have been in here that was discussed, and it's just not there.
0: Can you for for folks that aren't familiar with the Rupert's Land Institute, um, can you help us understand? My understanding is that it's an affiliate, right, of of the of the Alberta Métis, but but it's been it's been um, collaborating with Alberta Education for for the past number of years. Am I understanding that correctly?
3: Yes, you're right, Ryan. Rupert's Land Institute is the affiliate of the Métis Nation. It's our education, training, and research arm of the Métis Nation, and they have been working very closely, or we we thought very closely, with the Alberta education very much in where right now we have a big project going on looking at themes, uh, reviewing them for um, the history of the Métis in Alberta, um, the languages, all of those kinds of things that um, – and and. So we do believe that we have definitely tried to have input. I'm hoping those themes are going to really make a difference. Uh, But yes, we were very disappointed to see um, what has come out in this draft. And what we're asking is really take another look. When we have our elder Betty saying, I can't support it. There's so much more work that needs to be done that's not in it. I support her 100% because that is it. Our voices need to be heard.
0: So, Audrey, what was it? So, so this Rupert's Land Institute was working with Alberta Education on K-12 curriculum for, for years, and then all of a sudden they just weren't? Like th-
3: No. Rupert's Land Institute has on a relationship with Alberta Education, yeah. and part of it was working on curriculum work. But more specifically for this redraft of the K-6, to there was working committees set up. And definitely there was uh, scholars, Métis scholars, Métis professors uh, that are part of the Rupert's Land Institute. We have an Alberta Métis Education Council that's part of Rupert's Land Institute. Uh, They were sitting on some of these committees. And over time, uh, you know, that's been going on for the last year, year and a half. And over time, they had come uh, to me and said, can we, you know, we, we just feel like we're not being heard. So we did have, as I say, we had meetings. I had a, a session with Rupert's Land Institute um, scholars and, and the minister herself to and her staff to talk about why we were feeling that we were not being, we were not uh, being heard. So I had hoped it would make a difference, but yes, I am disappointed in this. Mm-hmm very much
0: colette writes in on the live chat this is a little bit of a self-serving comment audrey i'll admit but colette says why isn't the government consulting with all these people why does real talk have to do all this work um that from colette Uh, let me ask you now there's there there are sort of two um narratives here right there's the one um and and your statement yesterday was a powerful one where you point out and i want to get into this how you say just the lack of consultation the lack of transparency actually breaches or violates the united nations declarations on the rights of indigenous peoples, um, the principles therein, uh, which is a, a pretty powerful statement. Uh, so, so there's the lack of consultation, and then there's what's actually in or what's not actually not in the draft curriculum. And we can talk about the, the lack of consultation. Quite frankly, uh, that's nothing new with this government. Rarely have I seen on any file any consultation with any groups uh, outside potentially industry on a number of files and I could sit here and list them off all day. I'd probably start with (laughs) coal and then I'd probably start with, you know, not including teachers and draft curriculum, which blows my mind. And then we we could go into a number of different conversations. But let's talk about what the plan actually looks like to teach kids from K to six. Um, what about that concerns you? I've had a lot of people say that they're concerned about American influence, about Eurocentric perspectives, about the prevalence or, or the normalizing of Christianity and the othering, people are calling it, of other religions or backgrounds or, or, or ethnic um, uh, backgrounds. Um, what do you see that concerns you or what do you not see that concerns you?
3: OK, thanks, uh, Ryan. And I just want to make one comment. Of con- Yes, consultation has been a big issue between the Métis nation of Alberta and the government of Alberta for a long time. We have a consultation policy for the Métis with Canada, but we don't at this point with Alberta, and that's an issue. But on to today's topic, you know, as an example, in grade five, I believe it is, uh, the curriculum is going to, to teach people about indigenous people. Indigenous people clearly in our constitution includes the Métis. And yet we have comments like it is so often focused on First Nations and First Nations need to be in there. Don't get me wrong. I'm glad they're in there. they They have much history and and knowledge that they have to provide as well. But when you talk about the indigenous people and what you bring up is the Indian Act, we know very, very clearly that it has affected Indigenous people, but First Nations, it is solely an act for First Nations. It has absolutely nothing to do with Métis. So it's time we quit confusing the situation and and teach our kids that there are three Indigenous people in this country, First Nations, Métis and Inuit, and they're all equal and they need to be acknowledged. And if our children learn that in school, I believe there will be a lot less racism and all those other things that we worry about. We talk about the, uh, the, the trade, the bartering, the economic situation. Nobody was more involved historically than the Métis in the economic um, opportunities at that time in this country. And yet there's nothing about us there. Hmm. Those are the things that really upset us that even though it's told it's not heard, or it's not followed through in the writing of the document.
0: I find that it's just such a, 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 like when you say to someone, you say, read the room. It's like this curriculum overhaul just fails to read the room. Um, And I guess that that probably, uh, President Poitras, points to a bigger conversation, uh, which is a national conversation around truth and reconciliation and the report, And the federal government's role and provincial government's roles and even municipal governments, for that matter, uh, and everyday Canadians in taking something from that and in meaningfully applying it to their lives and in actually moving forward in a spirit of reconciliation. I mean, do you see it happening? I've seen this described as the era of reconciliation. But if you actually ask the average Canadian to make a list of what they see tangibly happening or changing I'm not sure anybody would have that deep of a list. Would you?
3: No, you're right. You're right, Ryan. And I, I believe that that's part of this whole thing as well. Don't in one hand say um, you support the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and their calls to action, but it never goes further than that. It has to go further than that. Um, and so th- that's that's some of the things that that we worry about is we're in a country where, you know, we've accepted United Nation Declaration on, on Indigenous People. We've accepted the truth and reconciliation uh, commission calls to action. And everything that I ever heard, we're moving forward to say, how do we do that together? And that's the real key piece to me. It has to be together. It's not about it's not about um, someone else telling our stories. It's not about a colonial revision of history once again. It's about point of view of Indigenous people being applied. That it's the true story and it's the understanding of our children in school. And that's what it's all about. I want those next generations to understand the history of us as Indigenous people.
0: So you and the Métis Nation of Alberta called by way of a public statement um, for the minister of education to redraft this K to six curriculum in collaboration with the Métis and other indigenous groups in Alberta. Did you happen to hear back from the education minister? Did you happen to hear back from government? Yours is an office that I I would imagine gets some attention when you speak. People listen.
3: Uh, My understanding uh, as of right now is that, um, Rupert's Land Institute has, Mm. um, Albert, Alberta education, the, the, um, the senior staff that work with our CEO and, and education team over there have had a call and they are going to have a meeting. Uh, I did hear from one of the reporters in my last interview of the day yesterday that the minister had indicated that she felt that Metis were involved. And all I'm saying is, then I know we had Metis people who were who were involved in the committees. But once again, what we're seeing is exactly as we talked about a few months ago, they're in the committees, they're providing input, but it's not coming out any further than that by the looks of this draft. So all I'm asking is have another look, look at all of those, that input that you had, and really apply it to the curriculum. That's That's what we're asking.
0: Audrey Poitras is the elected president of the Métis Nation of Alberta. We're grateful that you were able to make time for us this morning. Thank you so much for this.
3: Thank you very much, Ryan.
0: Real Talkers, we want to hear your thoughts on this. Um, I mean, I, I would love to hear from, you know, when you talk about First Nations, uh, you know, Métis, Inuit, Canadians, Albertans. Uh, I, I'd love to hear from you. Talk at RyanJesperson.com how this is resonating with you. There, There are... Hundreds of examples, as Sam and I have talked about, hundreds of examples in our inbox of of individual parents or teachers that are outraged, that are disappointed, that feel let down, that are discouraged, that are motivated. I mean, expressing many different opinions and some of it is really sort of general overarching stuff like the lack of consultation or the way that it was rolled out or the the prevalence of American history or the removing the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. People are talking about and then some of it gets really specific like I don't see myself represented And that's really powerful to hear. It's certainly discouraging disheartening, but at the same time It's a motivator, isn't it? And you motivate us and we hope that we motivate you and this community continues to grow uh, Not just in size and stature, but also in Punch power So to speak and that's because of you it's because of you using the hashtag real talk RJ it's because of you see seeing us And members of opposition on Emails because of you participating And sharing the interviews I just got an email as a matter Of fact while we were on the air from Julia uh, Julia looks like uh, Works at a place called daydreams uh, I believe it's uh, What's early elcc Has got to be early learning and child care right Elcc uh, yeah, I think that's early correct. learning and child care Um Julia says, uh, looks like she's from the southern part of Alberta. She says, I support what your first guest, Brad, said this morning. You remember we talked to Brad from Glen Child Childcare Yesterday was the last day of the $25 a day child care. He said, We've got people, some of them are leaving. Some of them, the moms in the families. It sounded like more predominantly moms. That's, you know, all of our female listeners are going to go, Yeah, that's kind of the way it goes, you guys. We're disproportionately affected by all this. That's kind of why this is important to us. Not always, but oftentimes, probably most oftentimes brad told us families are making tough calls about who's staying home from work who's not working who's going to work more hours who's going to you know so julia says i I support what brad said on your show today i was a for-profit center before applying to be one of the 25 dollar day centers And, and julia says the minister has out and out lied on the record she's saying this she says i've sent my parents my educators have sent email after email to the minister's office we get form letters back just regurgitating dishonesty in town hall meetings she consistently talked about winners and losers and implied that we weren't that great that it was a failed project the 25 dollars a day it was a pilot there were awesome things happening says julia there could have been changes made that didn't mean we had to do away with it she says the majority of our families of our partners they're middle income earners two to three kids she said, these are families that are now going to be paying over $2,000 a month. She says, you should have more discussions on this, not just this one. There's so much more. You'll have to forgive me. I say with a bit of a smirk on my face, but there's a lot that happens when we're live. And I can see sometimes the developments, right? I I don't really check in on my Twitter mentions. And I just did. And I noticed that that a lot of people are saying that it's it's about time that we bring Racky Pancholi back on the show. She's uh, the MLA out of Edmonton white mud and she's the official opposition critic for uh, children's services I think we could probably find some time in our show tomorrow to bring Rocky Pancholi on I think she might have a few things to say yeah. about she, she's a mom too Yeah, I mean it always I always like to point out to pe when people are parents uh, on a file like this. It's it's relevant as well so we can we can announce I think that we got Sachi cool tomorrow which I'm super 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 excited super excited about, super really excited cool. about yeah. coming up at uh, about 835 840 if you're listening live mountain time 1040 Eastern time. Um, she's brilliant, and then our a real talk roundtable tomorrow, which will be live at 9 a.m. Mountain. That's going to be our first first runner up and People's Choice winners from the U. Alberta 3MT. And I never do this because we haven't even talked to Racky's office, and I don't know if it'll work for MLA Pancholi. But we'd love to talk to her around like you know, I don't know, nine nine thirty, nine forty five, something like that. So is we'll this get into, the
1: new way we book interviews. This is the we new just way:
0: announce them and hope they show up. Well, it's kind of like because our our chase producer has not started yet, um, right? And we'll have an announcement. We're very excited to have an announcement to make probably uh, probably we think like uh, (laughs) Sam's looking at me like maybe I should stop but we'll probably have an announcement to make early next week which is super exciting but in the meantime if Twitter if the tweeps and the real talkers could keep just producing the show for us on Twitter while we're on the air that would be excellent that would be ideal we love it so we'll continue the child care conversation to be sure we also got this from Robert as a matter of fact, before I read Robert's email, let me just really quickly remind you that the team at Park Power powers the hashtag that we're keeping an eye on, Real Talk RJ. We're so grateful to have them on board. I love the cut of their jib. I told you this. A lot of our advertisers approached us. We approached Park Power. I was like, I love the way you guys roll. I love your Instagram. I love your social media. I love that you take 10% of your profits and push them back to nonprofits in your community. We want to work with you guys. And then they said the feeling was mutual. And then we all slow danced under the moonlight and signed our deals. I was going to talk about get all weird for a second. but I,
1: I'm just chewing on the phrase cut of your jib. This is like probably the best vocabulary show we've had in a while. Do you think? I, th- I mean, we're bringing back some fun old timey slang, but I like it.
0: I saw somebody on the on the live chat earlier when I was talking to Dr. Gasparovic and Dr. Saxinger that said when I said people are recreating and they said, is recreate a verb someone on the live chat? It is. is. It? Of course yeah. it is recreate is a wonderful verb we somebody got a word of the day calendar um it's me so here's the deal with park power see how we do this we just I, I
1: was trying to see if you're gonna turn recreate into a into a park power plug
0: we're like the guy we're like the guy on the highway that's like technically staying in his lane not totally not drinking and driving just having a difficult time just probably astounded by the mountains and you're going how is he gonna save this commercial read? I'm going to remind you that if you go to parkpower.ca right now, whether it's electricity, natural gas, or internet, whether it's commercial or residential, if you use the promo code 2021-REALTALK, you're going to save 70 bucks off your first bill at parkpower.ca. We love partnering with them. We feel the same way about Kubi Energy. Jake was on a few Fridays ago, Jake Kubiski, the founder, the CEO, is part of our solar panel, and we learned a lot more about what they do. I realized that I had sort of been underserving Kubi Energy in their commercial spots on the show because I, I always said whether it was commercial or residential. And then he was pointing out he's, they do a ton of industrial work, too. I mean, they've are they're they're, they're they've got uh, basically Tesla certified installers that are doing small things like people's houses, garden sheds, all the way up to like the Edmonton Convention Center or big, huge installations. If you want to find out if it's a fit for you or not, you're not sure if it prices out, if it makes sense. There's no question they haven't answered. There's nothing they haven't heard. There's no objection that they can't address. They love your questions at kubienergy.ca. And, of course, they present positive reflections. Positive reflections this next week is actually going to be on Wednesday. Sam and I want to let you know that we're going to work tomorrow. We're going to work the Good Friday, and then we're going to take Monday, Tuesday off, and we're going to be back live next Wednesday morning. So we will have a show Friday, which means Trash Talk tomorrow. We're going to have a nice long Easter weekend with our families Monday, Tuesday, and we'll be back live Wednesday. That'll be positive reflections. Love to see the photos of your little one in, like, the, the little chick or, or the little bunny ears that Grandma knit and sent via Canada Post. We'd love to see the videos of your family gathering. We'd love to see that stuff. Positive Reflections is essentially how we start the week off on the right foot. So we'll take your submissions to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Robert wrote us this email to talk at ryanjesperson.com. He said, guys, I'm just curious for your thoughts, uh, your perspective on this. Am I the only one who thinks that maybe this curriculum stuff is kind of more like maybe a a stunt or a false flag like we've seen many times with this government he goes here's my theory says robert create something objective to show right sell it to supporters of the party as the, of the government as you know we heard you we're fighting for you you know why can't my kids learn like they used to and then make changes along the way and then try to sell it to other people as meaningful consultation Robert says this this then becomes the current talking point for like the next month. And people essentially forget all the other disasters, right? So it makes it look like the government's learning and changing its tone. Like he says, you know, another example might be the health minister and the file with the doctors. Distract, distract, distract until vaccines are rolled out, until people get back to things they've missed and try to forget this tire fire of a government before the next election. Or, says Robert, perhaps I suppose that they really are this obtuse. It's also a strong possibility. At this point, I don't think it'll even work. Even if I'm correct, they've scorched too much earth to recover. It just seems like this and with other unbelievable moves like like attacking Bigfoot, that there's an alternative motivation or tactic with this government. This would be in line with what I perceived in American politics over the last four years, to simply distract people from what's actually going on. He says, or maybe I'm just overthinking it. That from Robert. I wanted to leave you with that today.
1: Someone made me think
0: when I read it yesterday. Make us think. Make us think and keep our eyes on the prize. We'll continue to do that exact same thing. As mentioned, tomorrow's going to be a great show. Sachi Kool is going to join us. A great roundtable of innovators and researchers. We're going to learn so much. And then if it works out, I hate to do her like this on the fly and put her on the spot. But Raki Pancholi, if she can do it, we'll talk childcare and more of your emails. Keep them coming. Talk at RyanJesperson.com. Talk soon.